Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Exodus chapter 16. I mentioned in the last episode that there is no such thing as an untried faith. That's a quote, actually, from J. Alec Machir that comes from chapter 15. But it applies just as well to chapter 16 and chapter 17 and to quite a number of chapters in this story moving forward. God saves the people of Israel and then immediately begins to teach and try them. And I think it's important for us to take note of that. There is a great distance to be traveled between the waters of baptism and the gates of the celestial city. As Brother Job said, Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who indeed? Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. At the end of chapter 15, of course, you remember the people were desperately thirsty. Water was heavy and you could only carry so much. And they were three days in the desert without finding a sufficient water source. So they were in real and immediate danger. But as we saw in that story, God provided for his people that should have established something of a pattern in the minds of the Israelites. They should have realized that this God who was able to defeat Pharaoh and able to send plagues on the whole land of Egypt and able to part seas and able to make bitter water sweet, this God also ought to be able to provide food in the wilderness for those who trust him. That should have been the conclusion that the people came to. But of course, Human beings are slow to learn. So the people grumbled, and they exaggerated the pleasures that they had left behind. We need to hear that too. Remember, we are Israel. These stories were written down for our instruction. And we need to know that sin always looks better in the rearview mirror. And so it is here. Remember all the meat we used to eat back in Egypt? Oh, times were good back then, weren't they? How soon we forget. We pick up the story at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? 
And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumblings that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So again, this whole food distribution system has been designed by God as a giant test. He will portion out their food in single servings. That means that they're going to have to trust him every day. That means that they're going to have to obey him even against their natural inclinations. These people were farmers. Farmers know that you don't just go out and harvest one day's worth of food. That is wildly inefficient. More than that, it is dangerous. What if the food doesn't come tomorrow? Doesn't God know that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush? This was counterintuitive, which of course is kind of what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. And that is what God wants them to learn how to do. So this is all a test. This is faith walking 101. Now, the manna is promised every day, except of course for the seventh day. On that day, they will rest and eat the extra portion they gathered on the sixth day. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But the manna will be a daily occurrence, six days out of seven, for the next 40 years. Whereas the evening meat that Moses mentions in verse 8 is a sort of one-off. It's a special provision that will be very occasional in nature. We should also notice that this is the first time in the entire Bible where the phrase, the glory of the Lord, is used. You can see that in verse 7. It's always a good idea to notice the first use of an important biblical phrase. Very often, it is the first use of the phrase and the context for the first use of the phrase that helps us understand what the phrase means. So Nahum Sarnas is here. This is the first biblical usage of the seminal Hebrew phrase, kavod Yahweh, the glory of the Lord. The reference here is not to any visible symbol, as in verse 10, but to the manifestation of God's essential nature as he caringly and beneficently provides for his people's needs, closed quote. So the glory of the Lord refers to a powerful, tangible, impactful manifestation of God's essential nature. And here it has to do with his ability and desire to provide for his people and to be trusted to provide for his people. That's good to know. We pick up the story in verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So again, just pause and notice that the glory of the Lord is related to what can be known about God's essential nature through the miraculous provision of food in the wilderness. Store that away for future use. Verse 11. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. Now, we'll just pause here briefly to comment on these two miraculous provisions. As for the quail, apparently, even to this day, massive flocks of quail migrate over the Sinai Peninsula, moving from southern Europe to Arabia and then back again. 
Uh, they fly north across Sinai during March and April, which is when this story takes place. These birds are a food source even today for the people living in the area. They fly low and they fly hard and they tend to land for the night completely spent and exhausted, which makes them extraordinarily easy to catch. Local experts say that a small boy with a net can easily catch enough to feed his family. So, God providentially arranges for a flock of exhausted quail to land in the camp, and this provides a very welcome feast for all the hungry people. As for the manna, many commentators identify this with a naturally occurring phenomenon in the region that apparently is still eaten, although in much smaller quantities, still today. So, for example, R. Alan Cole says, This description and its quality of disappearing in the heat of the sun when collected by ants prove almost conclusively that it was the Arabic man, a globular exudation of two types of scale insects living on twigs of tamarisk. This substance is chemically composed of natural sugars and pectin and is found today only in the southwestern part of the Sinai Peninsula after the rains of spring, closed quote. So it may be that God simply amplified an existing natural phenomenon in order to provide food for his people. It may be that, or it may be something else. As Cole says, the naturally occurring manna is only available in the spring, whereas this manna was available six days a week for 40 years. So even if God made use of something pre-existing in nature, it is obvious that he has supernaturally involved himself in the process in order to provide a consistent and nutritious food source in the desert for an unusually large number of entirely dependent people. This is a miracle, no matter how you slice it. We carry on with the story in verse 14. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. So again, we see that this food source has been engineered as a particular type of test. God tells the people to gather only enough for one omer per person. Apparently, an omer is about two liters. You have to gather it early in the morning because it disappears in the sun and heat of the day. And you can't store it overnight because it spoils and breeds maggots. So this is literally a case of living day to day, hand to mouth, by design. And of course, some people couldn't handle that. They tried to ration it just in case God didn't show up to provide the food they needed the next day. People are slow to learn. 
and people are slow to trust in the Lord. But thankfully, God is patient. We pick up the story in verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So the idea here is that on the sixth day, God will cause there to be an abundant harvest, sufficient for everyone to gather twice their personal allotment, enough for today and enough for tomorrow. Now, normally the bread would spoil overnight, but this time, miraculously, it does not. This time it will stay fresh and supply meals that will not need to be prepared on the Sabbath day. Now, by the way, Jewish people still follow a version of this tradition today. Two loaves of bread are set out on the evening of the Sabbath so that they can be eaten without the work of preparation on the following day. God is trying to teach his people that life is about more than work. People need rest. People need worship. You were made for more than labor. And with just a little bit of planning and forethought, rest and worship can be and should be incorporated into everyone's weekly schedule. That was the plan. However, as we see in verse 27, not everyone was down with the plan. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, the command to remain each of you in his place was not a commandment against movement, as the Pharisees understood it in Jesus' day. Rather, it was a commandment against labor. Don't go out to harvest. Prepare ahead and enjoy the day. Rest and worship. That was the idea. So the people rested on the seventh day. Verse 31. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is the 10th part of an ephah. Now, we've talked already in this series about the shape and rhythm of biblical faith. We are a people gathered around the redeeming work of Almighty God. So at the heart of our worship, there is a work of power, a work of mercy, a work of grace that is then given authoritative interpretation in the scriptures. These 
works mean something. And the meaning is provided alongside of the work itself. And then the work and the meaning is commemorated in some sort of appropriate way, some sort of rite or festival or meal. That's what we're seeing here. Part of how God saved the people was by providing for them the bread from heaven. And this was something they needed to remember. This was to be connected with God's glory, with his essential nature. And so they put some of the manna in a jar within the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Douglas Stewart sees all of that, but also sees something else that I think we need to see. He says, Moreover, God was teaching them a concept. He was the ultimate provider, the one who from heaven gave them not necessarily what they expected, but what they really needed. Thus, his satisfying them with the bread of heaven becomes a theme of Scripture that not only refers to the manna described in this account, but to the ultimate provision of eternal sustenance, Christ himself. Close quote. And thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find all those over at the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also connect with us on Facebook. I hope that you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there. We post daily encouragements, some user reflections, and also some conversation starters. It would be great to see you there. And I hope to see you again real soon, right here, for another episode of Into the Word.